Welcome back to another episode of Auto Service World Conversations. I'm your host, Peter Bulwer, and today I'm joined by Kevin Fitzpatrick of Opus IVS. Welcome to the show, Kevin. Hi, thanks for having me. My absolute pleasure. Now, before we dive into today's topic a little bit, why don't you give us a little bit of background on who you are, what you do, and what Opus is all about? Sure. Uh, my, again, my name is Kevin Fitzpatrick. I'm a senior vice president with Opus IVS. We're a provider of services and technology to both the collision and the mechanical space. We build tools, devices and for scanning. For instance, on the collision space, we build uh, devices that uh, provide both uh, pre and post scanning for collision to make sure that uh, the vehicles that are returned uh, after a collision are in uh, as-built condition back to motorists. And on the mechanical side, we actually employ about 120 um, factory technicians that staff three call centers uh, in the U.S. Our customers have tools, scan tools, that uh, they're able to connect to the car and interface with our team to make sure, like, uh, if they have any question as they're working on vehicles, they can work with our team to make sure that they're diagnosing uh, vehicles the correct way. Very good. Now, Kevin, I wanted to ask you specifically about repair costs and processes as it comes as it deals with EVs versus controlled combustion engines. Sure. Now, I've heard EVs typically take longer to repair on average. And I mean, there's a number of reasons for that. They're a little bit more technologically advanced. People aren't necessarily as used to working on EVs. Um, but I wanted to hear from you. So what are some key issues or differences that could impact their repair time, cost, and overall intensity of labor? Well, the big, the biggest issue right now, I think, is the willingness of the aftermarket to get involved. If you take 100 shops, you're probably going to find about 85 of them that are unwilling right now to work on, on EVs. That's just a stark reality. It's a bit of dedication. You have to get trained. I mean, these vehicles are no joke. I mean, they can hurt you. You have to take some extensive training in order to work on them. You have to tool your shop to work on them. You have to have a technician that spent multiple days in training, and it's a bit of a commitment. So once your shop makes the decision to get involved in EVs, it's great. I mean, there's plenty of money to be made working on them. But the problem is right now, for the motorist, it's a bit of supply and demand. There's not a lot of independent technicians right now that are actually repairing these EVs. Therefore, the, the cost of repair is a little bit higher. And finding a technician that repairs them in the aftermarket is difficult. And the other issue is for a franchise dealer, whether it's a, a Tesla, a Rivian, a Lucent, doesn't matter. There's not a lot of franchise dealers that are repairing these things either. Yeah. And well, I mean, it seems to me that there's such a gap that will eventually need to be filled. Wouldn't it make sense, I mean, in my mind, to do the upfront investment and be one of the few independents who are able to actually look after one of these things? It absolutely would. And a lot of the forward-thinking technicians are doing exactly that. But one of the lines that Opus takes care of is Tesla. We went out and we hired a factory Tesla technician. So our customers, they take Teslas into their shops and we help them make sure that they're diagnosing and repairing them correctly. So that's a little plug from our company, but you're absolutely correct. In my former life as a technician, my, bro my brother's in the independent repair business. At his shop, we, they repair all EVs, Bakis and e-trons and all of these vehicles. It, there's great money in them. And the forward-thinking technicians, as you mentioned, are, are doing exactly that. These cars aren't going anywhere. They're going to uh, eventually they're going to they're going to take up a majority of the vehicle car park. It's going to take years to do that, but every year that they're a greater percentage of what's going to be driving into your service bay. 
Yeah. Uh, and I guess part, probably part of the hesitation or the lack of willingness to kind of dive into this. I mean, if I'm a shop owner at 60 years of age, I'm probably not going to see a return on that investment in any kind of appreciable way. And if we're looking 10, 15 years down the road, when these are really starting to roll into my shop, maybe I'm thinking it's not worth my time. That's exactly the biggest commitment is the time. From a technology perspective and from a tooling perspective, the investment isn't that great. The investment is your time. And that's the thing. So if you're going to, if you want to spend a few days in class, I think a, an interesting point is most shops use all data. Tesla information just did all data, which was, which was kind of a signal to the industry that, hey, these things are coming. When, when a shop owner saw that, he should be saying to himself, I better get to class because much like Fords and GMs and everything else, these Teslas are going to be coming into your service bay. By the way, the parts are available. But again, for a 60-year-old shop owner, and I don't consider that to be that old these days, they should be making that investment, that time investment. Yeah. Well, and actually, I just came across some data that was released that says that Tesla's cost an average of $1,600 more to repair than a standard internal combustion vehicle. That's, I mean, that's basically two tickets in one, if you think about it. So why, what's with the cost being so higher elevated? Is it harder to get parts? Is it the technical aspect? Is it just the scarcity of talent required in order to repair this? A couple of things. I say the scarcity of talent, okay, which means that you can charge a premium. And I think people are going to take advantage of that, you know, for better or for worse. The other thing is, I, I've mentioned this on a few of the interviews I've done. These vehicles, if you take, let's say, a Tesla Model 3 versus a, an equally sized vehicle, either like a 5 Series BMW or a Honda Accord, these, are, these vehicles are all about equally sized. That the, the Tesla weighs about 50% more than each of those vehicles, considerably more. Therefore, it eats up tires, it eats up suspension component, right? So it's going to it's gonna require more maintenance, more tires, more suspension components. And it like I said, it's a and these are great money makers for the shops. Drive fluid, it, these cars require maintenance. But that that and the fact that there are less service technicians means there is money to be made. Now that actually kind of sprung something into my mind is could part of the contributing factor be in terms of the unwillingness to service these vehicles, could it be that you might need special equipment to deal with such a heavy vehicle? Not really. I mean, the average alignment rack will pick it up. 10,000 pound rack will, will pick this thing up. Most yeah. of the same, most of the equipment that's required, believe it or not, is safety equipment, the gloves, the meters and all that's most of the equipment that is, is required is additional safety equipment. Yeah. Well, I guess, yeah, now that I'm saying this out loud, I mean, like F-150 is probably still heavier than a <laughs> Model 3. Let's be sure. Yeah. Now, non-Tesla EVs are still kind of closing the gap and approaching parity with internal combustion vehicles. Why is this happening and why isn't it happening with Tesla? I'm not sure if you're in a position to talk about this, but is it, I mean, it's kind of unfair to pick on Tesla as the one sort of representative of a whole market. Um, but is it you know, production issues? Is it that... There's just more non-Tesla vehicles available. What, what do you think the cause of that is? Well, there's a lot. There's a couple of things happening in the industry right now. One of one of my teammates here at Opus was recently at one of the larger European car shows, uh, and he came back here. And this gentleman is usually not far from wrong. And he made a prediction, and he said, "Hey, listen, I was just over in Europe, and he said there is a massive influx of EV vehicles in Europe coming from China." 
And he said, there's about 30 or 40 different makes. And he said, listen, I looked at these vehicles and they're of extremely high quality. Now, his prediction is that we're going to see these vehicles here in a very short amount of time. Subsequently, about a week ago, I saw an article predicting that these makes and models are going to be here shortly. Okay. I think Tesla is seeing the handwriting on the wall. They've recently done multiple price drops on their car line. I think between that, the quality of the Rivian vehicle, right? And I think the handwriting is on the wall. There is competition out there, right? Some of these models are selling very well. I mean, they're not the only, they're not the only kid on the block anymore. Yeah. Now, I think the counterpoint to that might be, I mean, my knowledge in this sphere is somewhat limited, admittedly. But to my knowledge, I mean, there's the big four EV manufacturers in China. I think aside from Honda, really, there hasn't really been a breakthrough of Chinese vehicles into the Canadian market. Is that changing with EVs? I do. I do. For what reason? I do. Because like I said, I think people are going to be a lot more lenient with an EV vehicle from China versus uh, an internal combustion vehicle from China. And I, I just think that is because of the history. I think from I think people love their Fords. I think they love their Chevys and from the whole romance of the thing. And I think that if China is going to break into the U.S. market, it's going to be with an EV versus an ICE vehicle. See, and again, playing devil's advocate a little bit to point counterpoint here. I mean, the, the cynic in me would say that people are sort of distrustful of Chinese manufacturing practice in general. I mean, we see it with aftermarket parts right now. But when you add all the electrical componentry, I would say that, I mean, el- Chinese electronics necessarily aren't always the most trusted either. And at this point, I mean, the, the vehicle is more of a computer than it is a car, right? Yep. So did you see any sort of resistance or public distrust? Maybe we'll put it that way. I do. But if you and I were having this conversation two years ago, I would probably be agreeing with you more. But when I look at the generation that's going to be buying these cars, when I look at my daughter, I have a like 23-year-old daughter, and the way that they use Uber and the way that they are not in love with vehicles the way the generation before is, sure. and it's all about price, and it's all, it's, and I just kind of see the conditions are there now for the Chinese with the right price point to, to make the play. And like I said, I'm completely agreeing with you. I would never see it on, on an internal combustion vehicle. But like I said, if, they, if, these, if these cars are presented in the right way, like I said, looking at the vehicles that are already coming over here from Polestar and everything else, like I said, I, I kind of see it now. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I mean, sort of the younger generation being a little bit less in love with the vehicle, with the idea of it more, like you said, it's down to a price point. Correct. Interesting. Now, you're out of the U.S., a little bit different than Canada. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, you're up in Detroit, right? Yep, yep. So it's kind of like Canada light. But when you get into the sort of further north, I'm talking outside of the the little warm circle of comfort we have down yes. but in Toronto. Vehicles that, there's a lot of range anxiety when it comes to colder climates, when it comes to more rural areas in Canada. There's a lot of space being spread out. Well, what do you think the technological advances are going to mean for addressing these concerns? Because, I mean, a battery can only last so long before a charge. We know this. And it might be ill-suited to the more sort of remote parts. Or do you see battery technology advancing to a point where this concern is kind of mitigated? It's going to be a big challenge, okay? Especially, you, you make an excellent point. The climate is 
probably the biggest challenge. The temperature is probably the biggest challenge. I'm, I work up here in Michigan and I live in downstate New York on Long Island. In, in both regions, we see temperatures down in the, we see sub-zero temperatures, uh, but we have our warmer times as well. And I can tell you that an EV will lose better than 30% of its range during those cold times. Okay. So when you were getting 200 miles on a charge, you'll lose 30% of that. You'll be at 130, 140 miles on a charge. So, and obviously in Northern Canada, less than that. So, so the temperature is, and the climate is an absolute concern for somebody considering an EV, especially when charging stations are, are at a great distance and few and far between. So, and that, which is why, like I said, be very considerate of the area and the region in which you're considering one of these vehicles. Yeah. I mean, the battery is still more efficient than me. I'd say I probably lose more than 30% of my output in the cold. Yeah. Uh, now, just before we wrap up here, there's kind of looking to the future. I have one more question for you. And what are repairers or ASPs doing adapting to EV repair? No, obviously there's got to be some sort of additional safety training for techs, uh, shop procedures, I mean, just with the electrical, increased electrical componentry. Uh, but what are some things that a shop or tech might have to do that you might not consider? Well, the most important thing, like I said, is the training. I mean, that's the most important thing. And usually you want to train more than one technician uh, in your shop for, for the potential of these things. The biggest issue right now facing the aftermarket is the lack of information provided by the manufacturers on these vehicles. For instance, if you're a factory technician, you get training from the factory on these things. If you're an aftermarket technician and you want to fix an e-tron e vehicle, the information is oftentimes more difficult to come by. And factory tools are often required. That's the biggest issue. Right. Now, Kevin, before I let you go, finally, um, I'm going to leave the floor to you. Do you have anything sort of to add to the conversation that we that I haven't touched on yet or any sort of closing thoughts? No, I think we've covered it all. Like I said, I don't think EV, I don't think the internal combustion vehicles are going anywhere for a long period of time. But like I said, I think every year you're going to see, we're going to lose another point or two to these EVs. At least in the U.S., our vehicle manufacturers got together with our government and they said they're going to make a concerted effort to push and push to be, to push these EVs in. Right now, we have a we have our our manufacturers are all on strike. This strike has a lot, if not everything, to do with the push for these EVs. That's why we're kind of in the situation we are. In a lot of cases, we're not ready. If I think of New York City for one, and I think of, of some of the cities in, in Canada, if if everybody all of a sudden decided to get an EV vehicle, they couldn't possibly charge these things. California, for instance, they already have rolling blackouts during the summer. And this is with a small percentage of people with, with EV vehicles. So I just think that's something that needs to be considered. Yeah, I agreed. The uh, the auto strike, Ford just got resolved, didn't they, today? I'm not sure. Did it? I think so, yeah. I, well, I don't want to I don't want to be telling lies here, but I, I think I did see that. Well, that is good news if that's the case. Yep. Okay, well, hey, Kevin, thanks so much for coming on. Really appreciate the insights. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Take care. All right, take care.